So for those that are, are newer to us, uh, my name is Leighton Erickson. Um, I have been on staff here at the church now for 35 years, 18 as the lead pastor. Uh, just a few years ago, I, I, to, I told the church to start thinking about succession plan, and they took me seriously. And, and, uh, and so they, the church actually had a farewell for me on Sunday night, which was wonderful. I appreciate all those that had an involvement, and it was very encouraging for my, my family and I. But so we're on the, I'm on the way out. So this is my second last sermon. Just think of it, the second last time you ever have to hear this soothing voice from this pulpit. It's, you know, so I'm sorry for those of you that like to sleep during Sunday mornings and you're used to kind of being lulled, lulled to sleep by my voice, but that's going to change in a couple of weeks. So, but, but for me, I was, I've been thinking about like, so what do you share as you kind of wrap up a season of ministry? And I joked at my farewell that I always thought my last sermon was going to be titled What I Really Wanted to Say, <laughs> but, but, but I, I'm not going to do that. So what, I, what I've done is I actually went into the scriptures, and I, I thought, how did other people um, end well, or what did they say? And of course, one of the, the, the main ones is the Apostle Paul, who was really involved in people's lives in church. And, and uh, he, what he would do is he would pray for the church. He would pray for people. And we have all these wonderful prayers of Paul in the Scriptures. And so as I, I, I end my time as your lead pastor, my two-part sermon series this week and next week is simply just called My Prayer for You. And I'm going to be looking at two of Paul's prayers and just kind of walking through them as, as both Scripture uh, teaching us and also my heart uh, as your as your pastor. So today we're going to look at Colossians uh, 4 verses 2 to 6 and then next week I'm going to look at a prayer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 which is going to be both an encouragement and a challenge uh, to the church as I wrap up. So uh, this morning Colossians uh, 4 2 to 6. So let me just pray again and ask that God would open our eyes and then we'll I'll teach from it. So let's pray. So, Father, again, thanks for this day that you've made for us. Thank you for the, the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of your word. And thank you for the, the, um, the joy of this congregation that we can gather here today. And so I, I pray that, God, that you would open our, our spiritual eyes and you would open our spiritual ears and you would open our human hearts to be able to receive from you this morning that which you have for us. And so guide us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Let me read the passage, and then we'll uh, just take it apart a bit. So this is what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim uh, the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. First line simply says this, devote yourselves to prayer. If I could give you only one word of encouragement as you move into this next chapter of ministry under the leadership of Santosh and Chet, it would be this, devote yourselves to prayer. Now let me just... Uh, share a few stories to help you understand why I say this and what I mean by it. I'm going to go back to 2015. 2015, you as a church graciously granted me a sabbatical leave. And during that time, I attended about 40 different church services in four countries. 
I attended big churches. I attended small churches, churches that met in beautiful buildings, and one church that met in a dirt floor with a tin roof over top of it. I attended charismatic churches. I attended conservative churches. And here was my one observation from all the services I attended, is that basically every church did church exactly the same way. Which shouldn't have come as too big a surprise, especially here in North America, because for the last time now, and I don't know what time frame that would be, 40, 50 years, most churches have followed a formula to grow their churches. And that formula is chasing after one growth strategy after another. So if you go to churches around the city today, you'll probably see that they all have light machines behind them and some have smoke. Pastors have short sleeve shirts with tattoos so you can see that they had a past. You know, it's, it's those types of things. And so, but, but most churches have similar styles and strategies and methods. And the churches that, that are, are um, excelling were simply the ones that are doing church better than the church down the street. They had better preaching, better worship, better facilities, and better and more programs. And that's kind of how, you know, church has been moving overall in general for a number of years. And then something called the global pandemic hit. And it was like the carpet was pulled out from underneath our feet and our tried and true and proven church strategies and programs in our big, beautiful buildings were no longer effective. And that, in my mind, was, was uh, one of the blessings of the pandemic because as it was shaking the world, it was actually shaking the church as well. It was shaking us out of our complacency. It was shaking us out of our routines. It was revealing cracks in our systems and methods and sometimes exposing gaping holes. It was challenging our model of church and causing us to ask different questions. And it pointed out there are overemphasis to uh, Sunday mornings. And this place of disruption and uncertainty and at times desperation dropped many of us to our knees into a greater place of dependence upon him, which is where we probably should have been all along. Now, this is exactly uh, what we see happening throughout the scriptures. Um, throughout the pages of scriptures, desperate times in the, in the lives of those who are followers of God or followers of Jesus in the New Testament often became a catalyst for renewal in people's lives and in countries and nations and church. So we see scriptures like this, Psalm 34, 17. When the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears and delivers them in all their troubles. Or Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and he saves them. Now, on several occasions, uh, King David found himself in very, very difficult situations in his life. And on two uh, occasions, uh, there was an army that was about to attack them, and so he, he went to the Lord in that time of desperation, and he said, God, what should I do? And even though the, the attacks were sim similar, God gave him different instructions both times. And he, he, he guided him to the very strategy he needed for that particular battle. And so he sought after God and God met him there. In the New Testament, we see the early church under great pressure and persecution. And, and what did they do? Well, they regularly gathered to seek the Lord in prayer. Again, I don't have time to look at all these scriptures with you, but you can look them up on your own if you want to. But in Acts chapter 1, we know that they, they prayed for the coming of the, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of power. 
In Acts chapter 4, they prayed for boldness when they were being persecuted. And the place that they prayed in, it says, shook. In Acts chapter 6, they prayed when they had ministry issues. Remember, that was complaining over the lack of care of the apostles for the widows of that day. In Acts chapter 7, they're under tremendous persecution, and once again, they gathered to pray. In Acts chapter 8, they pray for the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to come upon other people. And, And when they came to pray, they just didn't come with their lists to pray to God, but they actively came together to meet with God. To, to listen to God's voice and then to obey what he told them to do. And at every step, the early church devoted themselves to prayer. To prayer. And, and God uh, honored that and listened to them, and they also walked in obedience. Now, I know uh, this family fairly well, and I know that, that our hearts are to be devoted to prayer. And at times... We have been, and we are. But we all need to be more attentive to his voice, and, to, and together we need to seek him and wait on him to give us direction in life and ministry. And we need to be a people who, who in my view, uh, desperately seeks after and relies on the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us, not only as a church, but our lives personally and our families. And as I think back over my years at Ebenezer, I realize that some of the most significant and fruitful ministries we have been part of have come out of a people who are devoted to prayer. And so some of you don't know our history. I'm going to give you just a couple of, of glimpses of this. But back in the 1970s, a revival spread across Canada that originated right here at Ebenezer Church. And that revival was started when a group of people got serious about praying and, and began to pray together. I'm going to share about our partner congregations at the end of the service, but, but that was a, a season for us where we, we gathered to pray, and God met us in that. It actually began when, when the C&C group went on a prayer walk in the inner city to, to seek the Lord and to hear what he had to say to us. I remember as, as a youth pastor, and I was Ebenezer's first youth pastor way, way back, and I remember you know, us as a group, youth group praying for our high school friends. And then seeing these classmates come to youth and then committing their lives to God and, and following him. I remember one time, not too long ago, we did a series of the book of James. Some of you might remember that. And we got to the passage about praying for, for people to be healed. And, and this was not our ethos as a church. We, we didn't do this all the time. But I, I announced to the church, next Sunday we're going to have a healing service. And so I arranged uh, our elders and other pastors, and I think we had like six or seven groups of elders with oil ready to anoint people to pray for their healing. And, and inside I was, I was hoping, you know, I hope one person comes up to be prayed for. And, I, and if you were here that time, uh, as we spread out, there was lineups at every, every single station. And people were, were being prayed for and were healed that day. In fact, word got out in the community and we had people that heard that we were going to be praying for people's healings and people that didn't even have faith in Jesus were coming to be prayed for to be healed from their sickness and illness. And because of that service, we continue to have our prayer times up front here every single Sunday since then, that day, so that we can be praying for people and become a people of prayer. And then last season, we've been praying for our next co-leads. And we can trust the God that as we prayed together and as we sought the Lord that he brought the right people in place 
for this next season to lead and guide us, and we can know that with confidence. Now, of course, when Paul encourages us to devote ourselves to prayer, he's not saying, you know, come to me with your long list. He's saying, come and meet with me and listen to my voice. And when we devote ourselves to prayer, we're devoting ourselves to the posture of listening. And that was the posture of the New Testament church in times of uncertainty and challenge and change. And in fact, I actually think that the new church growth strategy in the times in which we live and the times that are coming is not going to be the next greatest strategy from someone else. It's going to be uh, the people who learn how to hear and respond to the voice of God. And the churches who are going to thrive in the future are going to be churches that, that learn how to listen to God. Because in times of uncertainty, that's where we need to get our, our direction. That's where we need to hear people. And we need to, not, we need to um, trust in that, not in our charismatic leaders or great programs or nice buildings. So I'm more convinced than ever that we need to continue to flex that muscle and, and train that in us as a church and equip our people to recognize the voice of the God of God in their lives and learn how to discern that it's actually God's voice and then to learn how to obey and live that out in their lives. Which is, by the way, why we've committed ourselves to teach a course on hearing God every fall. And which is why I, I hope that you encourage your next co-leads to make sure that course stays in place so that we can be those people. And that leads us to the second half of verse 2. And it just simply says this, being watchful and thankful. Now, when we're watchful and thankful in prayer, we, we give attention to God and are mindful of what he is trying to say to us. When we're watchful and when we're thankful in prayer, we become more attentive to the times in which we live. When we're watchful and thankful in prayer, um, we are, our eyes are open to the reality of our lives and what we need to change. And when we're watchful and thankful in prayer, we, we open our eyes and our ears and we come with an alert mind and an alert heart. And that's what God wants of us. He wants us to pray with open eyes and an open heart. Now, at the very end of Paul's um, journey, missionary journey, just before he's arrested, he met with the elders of the church of Ephesus. And this is a church of Ephesus is, is where Timothy was in the study we were just in. But, um, and this would be his last time of meeting with them. And it was a really tearful goodbye. And this meeting is recorded in Acts chapter 20. And so I'm going to just jump over there just for a second because that helps us about learning what it means to be alert and, and thankful. And so this is what it says in, in Acts chapter 20. Um, Paul is speaking to his elders and he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, I love the order of this verse and I want you to notice it. He begins with them. He says, keep watch over yourselves. Or as it says in the New Living Translation, so guard yourself. Or as the ESV puts it, pay careful attention to yourselves. And what Paul is saying is that the character of his children matters. So in other words, your character matters. And specifically, the character of those who are called to lead in the church matters greatly. And yet it seems like every week we hear of another well-known Christian leader who has fallen. 
And I'm not sure if you're in this world or not, but I, I subscribe to a few, few um, uh, magazines and so on. And so I know that the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest uh, evangelical denomination in the States, is in absolute disarray right now because there's been a void in character in their leaders and pastors. Just this past year, there was a docu-series docu uh, released on the international megachurch Hillsong. It was called Hillsong Exposed. Some of you are aware of that. And it talks about the, the, the um, poor character of the people that are involved in that. And then many well-known Canadian pastors have fallen. Some of them have been my personal friends and people I've looked up to, including some, some people here in Saskatoon. Now, I meet weekly with other pastors from across Canada who, who long for and are praying for their churches to be renewed. And one of the first things we learned in this mentor uh, program was that God renews a church by renewing the leader first. And so that's why uh, I've attended those things every week because I want to be uh, an ongoing learner. I want to have God at work in my life. And that's why over the last two years, I've led our board during this time of transition week or every other week through uh, some, some areas on discipleship that, that's focused on character primarily. And that's why as a staff team, we just finished going through the same character study because we know that character matters. And even though this passage is speaking directly to church leaders of that day, Paul's challenge goes well beyond people like me and other pastors. Your character matters. So, so Dad, here's your one line today. Dads, your character matters. It matters how you live your life in front of others. It matters how you live your life in front of your employees or co-workers or friends. And it desperately matters how you live your life in front of your children. And moms and grandparents and aunts and uncles and older siblings, your character matters. And youth leaders, and we have lots of them here, and life group leaders, your character matters. And marketplace leaders and educators and teachers and workers, your character matters greatly. So keep watch over yourself and guard your heart. And even though uh, we know that we don't have control over all of our environment, we, we do know one thing, that we can control our heart. We do have control over that. And God guides Paul to write down these words because he knows us. He understands our humanity. And just like the hymn that we sang today, which I didn't know that we were going to sing, he knows that we're prone to wonder. You know, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So, so guard yourself. And when I say guard yourself, I mean don't become so busy that you don't have time to listen to God's voice through his word and his promptings. I mean, don't allow yourself to get so tired that, that you give up the race of faith. And don't allow yourself to get so discouraged that you question God's greatness and goodness and abandon him altogether. Now, I know you know this. I, I know that. But every day, good people like you and me, who we are not suspecting, make bad decisions because they have stopped watching themselves. And as God's shepherds of the flock, whether that's over a church as I am, or over your family as you might be, or your co-workers, or your students, or your friends. Um, who you are really matters. In fact, it matters more now than ever. 
Because people are no longer reading the Bible, they're just reading your life. And if your character is poor, that's they're going to be their view of God and the faith that we love and believe in. Now remember, like in a secular world, you can still be void of character and, and experience success. You can, you can win the NHL playoffs and be a person of ill character, like most of the Golden Knights. <laughs> no, I know, just joking about that. Um, you, can, you can have success. You can score goals and still have an affair on the side. You can have an affair and be considered a good school teacher or a successful businessman if people don't look at your life too closely. But the one role where your life and your character is non-negotiable is that of a shepherd of God's flock that he has given you, whether that's your family or that's a church or your small group. And so if you ever find yourself at risk as you uh, search yourself or if you've already compromised in your life, then the process is simple because God longs for us to return. You just return, uh, turn away from your wandering, you return to him, you repent, and God renews uh, you as you renew your commitment to him. So God renews a church by renewing the leader first, and he renews families and communities by renewing you first. Then it says, uh, keep watch over all the flock that the Holy Spirit made you overseers of. And he talks about these savage wolves that come in. Now, as I said, um, we're all or likely will be shepherds over someone in our lifetime. But in this passage, it's a special charge to those who, who God has given to lead his flock. And, and for me, that's you. <laughs> At least it will be for a couple more weeks. And I can say with, with integrity that as your lead pastor and, and as a pastoral team, we've been actively watching for those things which are a threat to this flock and put us at risk. And we have actively and regularly asked God to open our eyes to the threats we do not see. And so that's what it means for us to be watchful and thankful in what we do. Okay, let's go back to Colossians. Next it says, um, And pray for us too, verse 3, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So the way I've summarized this is as you watch be ready and willing to respond. He says, pray that God may open a door for our message. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever, have you ever uh, personally prayed a prayer like this? As a church, um, is this one of the, uh, our heart prayers? Is this a prayer that is regularly on our lips, that God would open a door for our message? Now, I know I've actually regularly prayed for, for this, and, um, and it's amazing how many times God has answered that prayer and opened wide the doors for me to share the message of the cross and the hope I have in Jesus Christ. As a youth pastor, again, I was Ebenezer's first youth pastor way, way back, but I, I remember uh, praying for a young man named Chris that God would open a door for me to share the gospel. And that happened one night when we were on a canoe trip in northern Saskatchewan. That night um, in a tent with mosquitoes buzzing all around us, Chris invited Jesus to be the Lord of his life. And why that's significant is because shortly after graduating from high school, he became the first missionary in a very long while that Ebenezer sent out. We sent him to Mexico. I remember a guy named Bob visiting him in the hospital. Bob was dying of cancer. And a niece asked me if I might go and visit him. For the record, those don't always go well when someone else asks you to go visit someone. 
I, I know that from experience. And Bob had no church background, no faith background. But um, remarkably, we, we connected. And, uh, and within a couple of visits, he had committed his life to following Jesus Christ in that hospital room. And, and the amazing thing, by God's grace, this man who had been a Christian for literally a week called in his family like the old patriarchs and prayed a prayer of blessing over them and spoke into their lives and looked at each one and says, my longing for you is not to waste your life like I had, that you need to find Jesus Christ. And he spoke to each one of them, and some of them uh, became followers of Jesus Christ as a result of that. I can tell you story after story of, of people coming to faith. And as a church family, uh, we have been blessed many times over to hear stories of testimonies of people of all ages, from all walks of life, and from many nations, proclaim their new faith in Jesus Christ, because God has opened the doors for us to share through the gospel, because people like you have prayed. And I'm convinced that this is a prayer that God wants to answer today. He longs to answer. Now, you might not necessarily think that, especially when this world seems like it's against God and spinning out of control. But God is still at work in people's hearts and in their circumstances. And even in their circumstances, he's opening doors for our message. And I even think that the global pandemic, God used that to open doors for our message. And our current cultural practices, which we don't always appreciate or like, he is still opening doors for his church to share the message of the cross and of the good ways and perfect ways and true ways of God. Our society might be spinning out of control, but cultural disorientation is an opportunity for people to come and recenter their hope. So as you're devoting yourself to prayer, pray for your leaders, pray for this church, and pray for yourselves and your friends that God would open a door for a message. And then pause to listen to see what he has to say. In this charged um, anti-God, anti-Christianity, anti-moral culture we find ourselves in, we, we, we need this. And this is, uh, he goes on to talk about um, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. In verse 5. Um, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace. And season with salt so that you might know how to answer everyone. Verse 4, before that, it says, Pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. And Paul's life um, was all about proclaiming the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people around him. And so we need to do that. Now, I, I'm going to just kind of summarize these verses, verse 5 and 6, and with a statement that we need to make the most of every opportunity, but we need to do that with wisdom and, and grace. And so I'm going to pull the make the most of every opportunity out. I'm just going to put that to the very end of the sermon. I'm going to look at um, about being wise in the way we act towards outsiders and let our conversation always be full of grace seasoned with salt. Um, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you prayed for God to give you wisdom in how you act towards those outside of the church culture? You see, we, we desperately need wisdom as much as we need boldness in this cancel culture world in which we live. Now, just a few weeks ago, someone came up to me after our uh, first church service, and, and she came with a question for me. 
I'll give you some context here. She said that she had several friends and co-workers who were in the LGBTQ2 plus community. And, and she, was, she was wrestling with, with um, like, how does, what's, what's the, the role of the church? What's the pastoral role, role of the church in all of this? And then she, she made, a, she made a, a, a statement that actually really troubled me. And uh, so much to the point that I almost changed my sermon series to talk about this one thing and it just encouraged us in a different way. And, and this is what she said. Uh, she said, in the LGBTQ2 plus community, there's, there's a, a statement that they make. And the statement is this. There's no hate like a Christian's love. Just think about it. There's no hate like a Christian's love. Now, if this is the primary message that the LBTQ2 plus community, or any other community for that matter, is getting from us, we are not being wise in the way that we act towards outsiders. You know, somehow Jesus was able to, to navigate the complexities of his culture, and his culture was as complex as ours, so that the people that were, who were in the margins of faith and life were, were, were drawn to him, and they, they found life in him, in their brokenness. And even the Apostle Paul, who was is, who is the most theologically-minded teacher of his day, acted wisely towards those outside the faith. You know, just remember what happened when he went to Athens, who was, which is one of the most culturally diverse and pluralistic cities of that day. And when he came to that city, uh, wanting to and ready to share the gospel, his opening words were this. Everyone seems to be spiritual in this city. I even noticed you had an altar to an unknown God. I know who that is. Can I tell you about him? Like, isn't that amazing how he, how he takes the culture around him and, and he moves us towards the truth of Jesus Christ? And Jesus was a master of this. You know, he knew how to connect with his audience. When he was talking with fishermen, he talked about fishing. When he was talking with farmers, he talked about farming. When he was talking with the broken, he understood the brokenness. So let's ask God to give us wisdom to know how to act towards outsiders. And God to help um, us proclaim the message as clearly and boldly as we should. God, is, God says, um, or he says in here, make the most of every opportunity. God has called us and he has given us the gifts that we need, all the gifts that we need, to do all that he wants us to do. And how do we know what he wants us to do? Well, I'm going to sound like a broken record again this morning. We pray. And as we pray, we learn to listen to him speak to us. We learn to recognize his voice and understand his promptings. We become attentive to his op the opportunities he brings before us. We take steps of faith and obedience. And we move forward with God. Now I want to close with an illustration, a story actually of our church, of how we did that and how I think God has honored that. Just over 10 years ago, um, probably it was closer to 13 years, lost some years in there, but, but God put on my heart to plant a church. Now I remember sharing that vision with, first of all, Ebenezer's leadership team, which consisted of the staff and the board and then with the church family. And I remember initially, as I shared that at an annual meeting, I had several people, you know, come to me and go like, well, where did this vision come from? And I remember saying, 
God. <laughs> like God wants us to establish churches and, and grow his kingdom. Um, but a, as we started talking about it, we, we began to, to pray about it. And um, in this journey, you know, at the beginning, so we started, started resonating in people's hearts. And, um, you know, to me, it was obvious what God would want us to do. Um, that he would want us to, to plant a church just like Ebenezer, like a little mini-me, uh, in a growing, thriving community like a place like Warman. Uh, however, uh, being a pastor of this church, I, I knew that we probably should take some time to pray, even though I knew that, that God would affirm that decision, that we need to plant a church just like us in a thriving community like, like a Warman. And um, uh, so we started praying. And the first step in that prayer process, for those of you that were here during that time, is we prayed, God, where are you already working? And God identified four areas for us. One was the growing immigrant refugee community on Affleby Drive on the west side of the city. Uh, a growing Ukrainian and Slavic community, and, and that was before the war and people were, were coming here to Canada. The University of Saskatchewan campus, we were considering planting, starting a church on campus because we had so many university students. And then um, God's choice, the growing community of Warman, where we're going to plant the church. And then what we did is we, we took a month together as a church family to pray, where we devoted ourselves to prayer, one week for each area. And uh, we rented some city buses. Was anybody around during the time that, that's here right now? Remember that, that time? Okay, so a few of you were. So we rented uh, two city buses, and we took a large group of people from Ebenezer, and we went over to the west side to Meadow Green, and we just walked the neighborhood praying and asking God what he would have us do, and then we gathered and we talked about that. And the following week, we rented buses, and we went to the airport where the immigrants are coming, and we prayed for those who were coming to Canada and how we might have a part in that. And then we went to the university campus the following week, and we prayed there and walked the campuses, all these old geezers amongst, amongst the young people. And then we went out to Warman, and we prayed. And when we gathered um, together to discern what God was saying, we all felt that God was directing us to plant a church on the west side, amongst the 48 nations represented in a 10-block radius called Meadow Green. And we decided we're going to plant a church among the Ukrainian-speaking people who are immigrating to Saskatoon. Now, let me, let me just give you some context here, because uh, we had an annual meeting and we had a vote on this. And back in those days, it was literally people's spiritual gift. You can find it in Hezekiah 4.18, uh, that, that when there was a decision to be made, that you would oppose that, because that was your spiritual gift. And so, so in a Baptist church, I can't remember ever having a 100% vote, congregational vote, ever. We had a 100% vote in favor of planting not one but two churches. We had a 100% vote in favor of planting a church in Meadow Green among the nations represented there, and a 100% in favor of planting a church among the Ukrainian community. And then we had a 100% vote in favor of the leaders who are going to lead that movement, uh, one was in the church this morning already, Rick and Ruth Gunther, and then Vitaly and Slavi, Slava Kushner. And, and in that moment, these two churches began to, to get their conception and were born. Now, out of the House for All Nations, which still exists today on the west side, and by the way, if you're planting a church, you don't go to the most impoverished area to plant a church. You go to the, the, to the growing places. But God led us to the exact opposite. And out of that house for all nations on the west side, a new church was formed. 
It's called the Nepali Bhutanese Eternal Life Fellowship, and they're meeting across the hallway right now. And then uh, five years after that, God miraculously brought a man named Shadi from Jordan to Ebenezer Baptist Church. And if you know his story, he literally found a business card from one of our pastors in the hotel by which he happened to stay and came here that morning, and that's how we began a relationship with him. And it soon became apparent um, before us that, that, that there's an opportunity to partner with Shadi in his work amongst Arab-speaking Arab people in Saskatoon and beyond. And his ministry has actually gone across the world as he, as he has spoken to literally millions of people through, through, um, um, the, the, through you know, the, some of the TV shows and stuff he's been on. During the pandemic, he had a, a live prayer meeting, and um, during that time, there was 3,000 people would be online uh, praying with him and his team. It was amazing. And then just before COVID, a man named Chan Kim came to me to see if his group, the Vision Korean Church, could meet in our facility. And we originally said no because we had no space here, but after our expansion, we were able to say yes. And, and these five men you see in this picture become part of the Ebenezer family. And their churches have blessed us, and they have borne much spiritual fruit. Now, here's, here's the, the story. Like, 12 or 13 years ago, I had no vision. I had no idea that we were going to be a church with, with four or five partner congregations. It wasn't even a, a, a twinkle in my eye, as my mom and dad used to say. Nothing. And, and yet, here we have these five partner congregations representing five different nations, serving some of the poorest and most marginalized groups in the city, and God is hugely blessing their ministry. As we act in wisdom and grace, and as we look for to make the most of our opportunities, God places in front of us, we can expect God to work in his good time and in his good works. Look at the next picture here. This is Ebenezer, the full of us, when all five congregations gather. This is at Prairie Land Exhibition Center. And, and we had the place was packed, and on one occasion, if you remember, if you were there, we, um, we had, um, I think, like 30 nations come up and read a passage of Scripture, declaring the goodness of God in their own language, home language. It was, it was amazing. And that's because somewhere along the line, we decided to devote ourselves to prayer. And somewhere along the line, we decided to make the most of the opportunities that God brought in front of us and to be obedient to that. So, in this next season, may God continue to give you a growing hunger to seek after him. May God give you a renewed desire to engage in the lives of others, including your friends and co-workers and neighbors. May God give, uh, reveal new opportunities to minister to people, and may he reveal new and better ways to do so. This is Paul's prayer for us. Devote yourself to prayer. Listen for God's voice. Discern together with others. Step out in faith and obedience. Graciously and lovingly make the most of every opportunity that comes your way. And then be leaders and examples on this for others to see. That is Paul's prayer for us. And that is my prayer for you. Let's pray. So God, again, we just give you thanks for your goodness to us. It truly is new every day. Uh, thank you for your unfolding plan and, and the thought that you would use people like us 
to, to be part of your kingdom expansion. It blows my mind. That you would be gracious to us and that somehow you would use our words in our lives, even though they're not perfect, to see people come to know you. And God, I pray that, that as you have been with this church in the past, which is what the name Ebenezer means, thus far you've been with us, God, and blessed us. May this be the, the, the testimony of our tomorrow. May you continue to, to guide us in it. Would you expand the, the ministry of this church? And may, may you bear much fruit to the next leaders in this church. The God that you would use this and we would see many people in this, in, this, in this city come to know you. And may we see a renewal in our lives, God, and a revival that might spread across the land through this church and the people here. So God, we thank you for this. And we ask that you continue to guide us in all things. And God, if there are people here today that, that this is a new journey for them, they haven't thought about your goodness, may, may you clearly point out to them that you're the God, only true God, and there is none other. And that life is found in you and no one else or no other place. And God, that they might even begin a journey to walk with you so that their story could be added to the ones that we've already talked about. And so we commit this to you in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.